Hey, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to the Good Trash Genre Cast. Don't forget, you can check us out on Facebook, Twitter, Google+, and all the other social media usual suspects. Don't forget to do that. Thanks, guys. Yippee-ki-yay, mother... Good Trash Genre Cast. Listen to me! You look like a... What? Radioactive camp. What's it supposed to be? Like a banana with a yeast infection. How did I come to this? Not again. I played Richard III. Five curtain calls. There were five curtain calls. I was an actor once. Damn it, now look at me. Look at me! I can't go out there and I want to say that stupid line one more time. I got, I got shorts, every fucking color. I got designer t-shirts. Who cares about the goddamn dance chip? I do. I ordered your corsage. It's an orchid. It was like $12. If it means anything now, I am so sorry. It's just instinctive. It's my bad. I was never a very good practical joker. So do you have any regrets? Garfield, maybe. Hello, everybody, and welcome again to the Good Trash Genre Cast, where a bunch of people gather around a table and we talk about the films using film studies analysis that you'll never actually study in a film studies course. So we get that all that fun for you right there and then for you. Now, this week, we're going to be talking about a little film called World War Z, which is all about a, a group of space commandos fighting aliens and predators on a planet called Z. God, if only. Uh, or maybe not. Maybe it's a Brad Pitt joint, but we'll talk more about that here in just a little bit. Let's introduce the disembodied voices surrounding the table right now. To the extreme right, sir, if you would. Back from the dead, my name is Dalton Stewart, and I'm with the CIA, but they're not with me. That's a good point. Thank you very much. Uh, next on over, if you would, ma'am. My name is Alexander Bohannon, and out of respect for the dead, turn up all pagers and cell phones. <laughs> Outstanding. Uh, moving right along, sir, if you would. I am Arthur Gordon, and I really want to have Brad Pitt's babies. Adopted or otherwise. That's not a quote from the movie. I think I took his, because it was one of the good quotes. Okay. Qu- it's one of the only good quotes That's in this fair. movie. My name is Dustin Sells, and I can't remember any quotes in this movie, because I wish I hadn't watched it. But we'll talk more <laughs> about that. Hey-oh. We are going to be discussing World War Z, and we're going to be doing this um, in a film studies way, like we said. So this means this is an analysis show, not a review show. And there will be spoilerific spoileridges, and you'll find out how um, Bruce Willis had to take one for the team and blow up the asteroid to save us all from the incoming alien onslaught. Which is not nearly as stupid as the actual ending of this movie. Correct. That's that's a valid point. Wow, I'd love to actually see that movie. So the way it's going to look, dear listener, if you have not seen World War Z, is this. We're going to give our quick thumbs-up, thumbs-up reviews, which will be directly after our synopsis from The Voice of the Cinema, and then we're going to get into analysis, and there will be spoilerific spoilerage from there on forward. You have now been warned. Let's begin with that synopsis. Mr. Arthur Gordon, if you would, sir. United Nations employee Jerry Lane traverses the world in a race against time to stop the zombie pandemic that is toppling armies and governments and threatening to destroy humanity itself. Thank you very much, Mr. Voice of the Cinema. We'll begin with those quick reviews. Again, um, just very, very, very uh, quick reviews because that's not what we're here to do. I begin as we began earlier, Mr. Dalton Stewart, if you would, sir. 
I will say this. Nice things first. Uh, the first half hour of this movie is pure, nonstop, pulse-pounding crazy, which is pretty cool. Uh, I mean, shit jumps off very quickly, and it managed to continue that frantic pace for quite a while. Um, I will also say this. I really like the exposition uh, that is done in the film. They do a lot of uh, showing, not telling. Uh, the bear being like, the train's coming into the station. That's Whoa. a great moment. That is awesome. Get to the RV. No, I can't. Here comes the number 12 train. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, Secondly, I, I or finally, I did watch the unrated cut, which doesn't really add a whole lot. I will say this. You, I mean, come on. You can't have zombies without blood. Who are we fooling? You cannot have bloodless zombies. That kind of defeats the point. Um, so those are my nice things. Uh, <laughs> this movie would have been so much better uh, if instead of making, you know, $150 to $200 million zombie movie, um, they had skewed closer to the novel. Uh, and made, you know, a 90 to $120 million tops movie. Uh, because I really feel like if they had skewed closer to the novel, they probably could have done that. Um, what we get is zombies on a big scale. Uh, this is technically a horror film, and it is probably the biggest budget horror movie that has ever been made. Uh, now, if you want to get really in the weeds about it, in all honesty, it's probably more of a disaster movie. Um, but I do think that's cool. Otherwise, guys, there's not much of interest here unless you're just a diehard zombie fan. Fans of the book probably aren't going to love this. I don't as a fan of the book. Uh, people who don't care about the book um, probably aren't going to be interested unless they like zombies, which apparently the whole world does now, which is why this movie managed to turn a profit. It's fine. It's fine. You don't need to bust your balls to get out and see it because the, th the third act is a mess. I would hate to see the third act that they scrapped and rewrote and reshot um, because what we got is not good. So I can't imagine how bad what they actually filmed was. Thank you very much, Mr. Dalton Stewart. Miss Alexander Bohannon, what say you? This movie is very boring and very dull, and I thought it would do something subversive, but that's not what happened at all. And uh, the first, yeah, just like you said, I mean, I was getting anxiety watching that first 30-minute sequence. And I'm yeah. like, oh, my gosh, the mom and two daughters, they're going to die, like, ASAP. Um, and whenever, you know, that kind of expectation was thwarted, and I'm trying not to spoil, but kind of just did. I'm sorry. Um, anyway, I just wasn't, uh, yeah, it just, it doesn't ring true for me. It doesn't, I read some of the book, and from what I remember, this is not a lot in common with it besides zombies and their um zombies a la virus not like as of actually like um like a necromancer type zombie um i hate the cgi that was all those cgi zombies are terrible yeah, and ugly look looking and um there's just lots of plot 
problems. I don't like how the main character, the action follows the main character around. Like, what what is this? Like, episodic Doctor Who? Like, where, oh, we arrive on the day that the this planet explodes. I mean, that's basically what happens to the, uh, Brad Pitt as a main character. It's a little bit like uh, 2014's Godzilla in that respect, and that everywhere um, Quicksilver goes, uh, right. Godzilla seems to show up. Pretty much. Yeah, and so I didn't enjoy that either, and... I don't know. It just, this wasn't a very fun movie for me to watch. And I feel like there's way, way better ways to spend time uh, watching zombie cinema than spending and wasting your time and life on this movie. I'll say this about those shitty CGI zombies, though. The the teeth first dive attacks are kind of interesting visually. Just, you know, to defend this movie. That's a fair point. It is. I think I agree with that. Mr. Arthur Gordon, what do you say? Strong opening with some fun moments. Uh, forgettable second act. Decent horror trip through the Who. Uh, disposable characters. Brad Pitt is the savior of mankind. At the end of the movie, when the dove uh, descended from heaven and anointed him, I mean, him they go to Jerusalem for goodness' sake. I mean, come on, that's just so there. <laughs> but yeah, anyway, fair points all. Thank you very much. What I would say in terms of review is, I I like the first bit. I, I, I mean, as a parent, it's definitely something that ratchets up my anxiety. And then I stopped caring. And then I realized at the point, I don't have a goal here. What are we doing? We're just going yeah. around. And then they make up a goal. And that's bad screenwriting. Yeah. And that's all I have to say about that, dear listener. We'd love to hear what you think. You can hear about more of that during the feedback section. But right now, we got to get down to business. It's business time. <laughs> And that business in question, dear listener, is analysis. Mr. Dalton Stewart, what analysis do you have? I'm so ready. I didn't do any business in the week that I was gone. No business happened whatsoever. It's very distressing. Uh, I think we're all he in a, analysis. Yes, that's exactly what I mean. I didn't. I, th- I watched a lot of movies and didn't think a damn thing while I was watching them. Um, I think we're all in pretty strong agreement. Uh, the the, I, the first thirty minutes of this movie is really interesting, uh, and then they get on the helicopter, and that's about the last time something interesting happens. Indeed, um, as Dustin pointed out, the problem is there is no goal, so they make one up. If they had skewed closer to the novel, they would have had a goal because, for those of you not in the know, what happens in the novel is we're ten years out from the zombie from World War Z from the zombie apocalypse. We fixed it. We won. But it's not going well. Uh, things could be better. There are still uh, roving patches of zombies to be rounded up. They're pretty sure the entire ocean floor is just coated with zombies. Um, they give a death toll in the novel that they say is an estimate because they're still not sure. It's I th- I'm pretty sure what the novel goes with is like almost half the entire population of the planet. I mean, it's, it's catastrophic. Um, What's interesting about it, and again, the novel is written by Max Brooks. Yes, son of the the Mel Brooks, which is pretty whoa, cool. didn't know that. Yeah. Fun facts today. So what happens is Max Brooks is a character in the novel, and he fills in the role of UN investigator that Brad Pitt plays, and he's just going around talking to people um, about what happened, uh, people who were on the ground fighting it, people who were in political positions of power, and what we get is a very interesting, thought provoking horror novel. Uh, that also is a geopolitical novel, that is a socioeconomic novel, uh, that is a novel about how we deal with global crisis. This film is not about that. 
the one thing it takes from this this novel, the film uh, in question, is zombies. And two, about 30 seconds during the second act in Israel, where uh, this, this Mossad agent is talking to Brad Pitt. And this part is very close to something that happens in the novel. The UN investigator uh, goes to Israel, who survived World War Z, without incident, really. Um, and, and they basically say, what happened? How did you do it? He said, we got a report that said zombies. And it's the goal, of the, uh, the role of the 10th man to say, I disagree. So they built a wall, and everything turned out fine for Israel. And that's about the only thing this book takes from the novel. Uh, and this isn't quite an adaptation theory reading uh, of, of the book. I want to talk about why that one thing they chose was an interest, was an important thing to keep from the novel. Because one of the key themes in this novel is the idea that we are never prepared. Uh, on our Independence Day show a few weeks ago, I very made a quick passing mention about bureaucracy as the great evil in disaster movies and how bureaucracy will, uh, you know, take us down at the knees and we're completely inefficient. That's a point the novel makes very strongly, and it, it doesn't do it in the way that, you know, uh, a lot of big movies do is there, there's some niebish bookworm uh, that's like, oh, no, we can't do that, uh, and then the good guy punches him and we, we act with ruthless efficiency. But the point the novel's trying to make is our social structures handcuff us and keep us from acting quickly when bad things happen. We're, we're so indecisive. We've built a system that is so insular and resistant to change and refuses to listen to the voice of the people that when the people cry out, it's incapable of changing course and, and righting wrongs. And that's the one thing that they get right from the novel is saying, we're unprepared, whether it's climate change or mass shootings or apartheid or any other global catastrophe, genocide, war, famine, energy, we are incapable of changing course until something bad happens. Th think about the conversations of gun control in this country, just for a good example. They didn't really exist until Columbine in 1999. We were not having a real conversation about violence in schools, about bullying, about access to firearms in this country until that happened. We're still having that conversation. Not much has really changed but at the very least, we're having the conversation. Uh, and I think that's one really good point that the novel makes, that the film makes passing reference to, but at least they kept that point, which is an important one, is if we refuse to adapt and change and listen to the people, we're doomed. If, if the people in power do not listen to the people who are living on the ground day to day, we will not be able to adapt and overcome, whether it's zombies or whether it's income inequality, um, and voting rights. I mean, whatever whatever bone you have to pick with, with the way the world is, you can turn to uh, the slow-moving ship that is bureaucracy uh, for one of the key routes to the problem. And that would have made a far more interesting movie. And it makes a very interesting novel. Well, thank you very much, Mr. Dalton Stewart. Miss Alexandra Bohannon, what analysis bring you? Well, uh, today... Um this kind of goes uh, like a nice segue between Dalton's analysis and mine. I'm going to talk about income inequality because if you notice in that first scene, uh, Brad Pitt runs over to the uh, apartment complex and he finds a, um, a Hispanic family and they take him in and they are non-English uh, speakers or except for the son. And then whenever they subsequently leave his leave his apartment they we find out that they find out that he has been in an apartment 
that has is full of people that have lower income. Oh yeah, it's it's clearly public housing. Yeah, of like some it's kind. A, it's like a, unfortunately it's a slum. And I and at first I was like, okay, they're unfortunate. They're making all of the people of color in this movie zombies like instantly. But then I was like, wait, that's not the case because cool as it is, the leader of the UN is uh you know he's an, a black man and that's awesome, cool. But at the same time, it's just. I realize it's just like, oh, their solution is to put people on boats and put them out to sea. Well, who gets on boats? Wealthy people. Who gets on? Who is able to have a cruise? A wealthy person. And obviously, the un- anyone that gets on a UN ship is going to be someone important and yeah. someone with has privileges and privileges that aren't experienced by the rest of the populace. That man, if that guy... As unfortunate as it is, if he had been a lower income, he would have been toast. Just like how they were on the plane, all of the people in coach became zombies first. Boom. And then in the business class became zombies after they're like, oh, snap. What are the the plebeians doing back there? They're making too much noise. That's exactly what happened in this movie. Who's that there? I don't know. That's a bit king. Why? He hasn't got shit all over him. And... And it's really sad to know that the people, the um, lower income people, that if there were a real zombie outbreak, the people in these densely grouped cluster homes are going to be the one that suffers first. But that's just the thick and thin of it. And that is exactly what's going to happen. So if you, I am sorry for you if you make a lower income because, you know, according to this movie, you will be zombified. (laughs) And that's and that is a very distressing message that I think this movie is sending. But is it actually reflective of today's society? Uh, well, you be the, be you be the judge on that one. Well, thank you very much, Miss Alexander Bohan and Mister Arthur Gordon. What analysis bring you? I'm gonna piggyback a little bit off what Dalton was talking about and go a little more into the production of the of the film. I'm actually gonna crib some from uh, the Faculty of Horror podcast. Uh, who recently discussed this, I believe, in June, uh, episode number 28, I think it was. And they do it a lot better justice than I'm going to do it. So go listen to them, because they, they have a really good podcast over at the Faculty of Horror. There are some out. brilliant people over there. Um, anyway, in that episode, uh, they took a look at the somewhat rare occurrence of the horror blockbuster, and they did a split thing. They talked about uh, 1999's The Haunting, uh, starring Liam Neeson and Catherine Zeta-Jones and several others. Uh, and they also looked at World War Z, uh, looking at this kind of rare, every other, every few years, horror blockbuster thing that happens. And in that, they highlight some of the budgetary issues involved with horror film. High-end horror films typically cap out with a 20 to $30 million budget. These are the big deal horror films. These are the, you know, the studios fully behind, and they're really trying to turn a profit with that. While typically most uh, horror films of you know iconic or cult status level are only budgeted a few million dollars, um, and that's kind of high-end indie horror uh, that we're talking about there. You're at um, Follows, your Babadooks, etc. Yeah, yeah, yeah. World War Z, on the other hand, had a budget of nearly $200 million, roughly in that neighborhood. There was no confirmed estimate from Paramount, uh, but it's argued that's around $200 million, um, and that's a lot of green for this type of film. Uh, comparatively, Zack Snyder's Dawn of the Dead remake had less than $30 million. Uh, Danny Boyle's 28 Days Later was made for a whopping $8 million, uh, so that's kind of the picture we're looking at here. In the same vein as World War Z, uh, Will Smith's I Am Legend was made for $150 million. so that's kind of what we're playing with here and kind of the ballpark we're in when we're talking about these types of movies. 
Now, when you begin dealing with horror as a blockbuster, you have to realize that the studios are creating these films for the masses. Uh, they're trying to bring in as many people uh, as possible that would uh, watch this movie that they can get into the theater. Young, old, rich, poor, black, white, everyone. Uh, so traditional horror tropes and ideals are actually put on the back burner in order to cater to a larger demographic. Uh, we don't just see this with World War Z. Again, we can look at I Am Legend, which presents the vamp- vampire zombie epidemic as another action sci-fi type of film uh, with these major set pieces with some jump scares kind of mixed in there uh, just because they have to meet a quota of jump squares. And that's what the, uh, you know, when the audience is going uh, to see a horror film, they're kind of expecting to be scared. And so they kind of do that just to uh, please the masses. And that's why I think it pairs well with World War Z on several levels, uh, because I Am Legend was scripted to have an ending closer to the book uh, in which it is realized that the vampires have elevated themselves to the top of the food chain and humans have become a mythic breed. And then this ending was scrapped when it didn't test well and we got something more uh, pleasing for the masses. And so I think we kind of have something similar with World War Z where we try to get this more lighthearted ending than what they were really wanting to go for in the original script and uh, just so that they can kind of cater to the masses and uh, pull those people in. Uh, as Dalton mentioned, the movie deviates quite a bit from the book and it is based on. Uh, some of these adaptation decisions were based on box office economics. Uh, Laura Holson notes that, uh, quote, Paramount planned to convert the movie into 3D, a big draw for Russian, Brazilian, Chinese audiences, which meant that the studio could earn a substantially higher price over regular tickets. And indeed, Ch- China, which limits the number of foreign movies imported yearly, is so important that Paramount said the filmmakers deleted a reference to intercepted emails from China where in the original book the zombie scourge originates. End quote. Oh, that makes sense then. Uh, this is just another example of how studios will manipulate their films to better fit and draw in an audience. Uh, very little of World War Z actually plays like a horror film. Uh, the most notable instances are in the apartment complex in that early uh, act one. Uh, and then the Who sequence in the third act. These both have more uh, kind of stalker zombie elements to them, jump scares and things like that going on. And these moments when the film isolate the situation and highlight the uh, personal horror Uh, the attack on the family unit, the assault on the workplace, these issues would be rampant throughout a smaller-scale zombie or horror film. However, World War Z begins subverting here as it presents the outbreak on a global scale. And it's one thing I do kind of like about it because it's always interesting to like watch a zombie movie or, or any kind of invasion movie where we're only in one place. And you're like, what's the rest of the world doing right now? And that is the most interesting thing about this film, which is why I think people... Uh, went to the novel so strongly is because it's something that hasn't really been seen in zombie fiction. Uh, zombies, films, uh, and works of fiction in general are, are notable for the fact that they isolate people. Just think about yeah. The Walking Dead. We see this one group of people and what they're doing, or Dawn of the Dead, or Night of the Living Dead. Yeah. Uh, the book and the film uh, are really the only things I can think of that show the global catastrophe that would be a full-blown zombie apocalypse. Yeah, and I think that's where this really kind of uh, deviates into more of a disaster film, like Dalton mentioned, because we are seeing the global pandemic of what's happening. Um, And I think in doing this, that this causes the symbolism of the zombies to kind of become lost. Uh, Typically, zombies are very symbolic creatures, uh, but here I don't feel like there's a lot uh, to be said about their symbolism. Another subversion of horror is that the film takes a PG-13 rating, uh, which the studio fought for because, as Holson tells us, quote, from the beginning, Paramount demanded that World War Z have a PG-13 rating uh, so it could be broadly marketed, end quote. Again, another decision made to impact the sales of the film and not the potential message or artistry, uh, which is interesting because we have a very artistic director here um, who had come off the indie darling Monsters Ball, which was critically lauded and very successful. Uh, and so uh, it's a director who has a lot of potential to tell a good story, a very thematic story, uh, but he's kind of undercut by the studio, by Brad Pitt and the screenwriters uh, to kind of 
make this more easygoing. Well, uh, for Arthur, audiences. you bring up the screenwriters even to a more interesting point. They didn't just deviate from the novel; they deviate from deviate from the script that was sold, which was written by the creator of Babylon Five, J. Michael Straczynski, which was apparently amazing. Yeah, I heard uh, that Max Brooks really enjoyed that script mm-hmm. and uh, thought it was really solid, and yeah. then. We got into rewrites and reshoots, and they started filming and didn't have a script. And that was a script that was sold in like 2009. Straczynski is gold always. Yeah, I'm I mean, a fan. He's amazing. Uh, and there was, I mean, people who got a hold of this screenplay, journalists and such, were saying, "Oh my God, could we see a zombie film nominated for awards? Is that a thing that might happen?" I mean, it, it skews a lot closer to chill, something like Children of Men, apparently the original screenplay. Oh wow, that'd be an interesting movie to see. So, again, this is just another decision to impact the sales of the film. Uh, most of the iconic or most infamous horror films have an R rating. Uh, typically, the filmmakers' hands aren't tied by contractual obligations, so they're allowed more freedom to express themselves uh, thematically and in and, and different ways and play with the art form itself. And all of this is quite ironic because every blockbuster horror film has been trying to do one thing, and that is recapture the magic of the original uh, blockbuster Jaws, a horror film. You're going to need a bigger boat. Uh, Jaws wasn't a suspenseful action movie marketed as a horror film. It is, for all intents and purposes, a horror movie. And to cap that off, it was a horror film which transformed the way studios released and distributed films. Uh, And the problem that we're having nowadays with movies like World War Z, I Am Legend, The Haunting, and similar ilk is that the studio is so focused on recreating the effect that Jaws had uh, that they've lost sight of trying to recreate the initial cause of that effect, uh, which is terrifying the piss out of audiences and making them you know, pay to torture themselves again and again. Thank you very much, Mr. Arthur Gordon. I, th- I love that sort of uh, commercial reading that also has uh, those implications. Uh, that's fantastic stuff. I appreciate it. Uh, what I want to say in terms of analysis is probably what needs to be said. It's like acknowledging the elephant in the room in, in that it is a post-9-11 film, uh, in that there uh, is uh, this sort of attack that's going on. You know, Dalton was talking about the uh, reactive nature of uh, of catastrophe and crisis in in our, in our bureaucratic world, and what I want to suggest is the film is pointing out a um, reactionary tendency, a fascist tendency that tends to happen in these sort of situations. Again, as Alex was saying, the the poor's and the minorities and those who have less are obviously isolated, and the oligarchs themselves are given much greater privilege. And then what we have to do then is face a situation in which, and I think this is the way the zombies are are depicted in this film as something of an insurgency there is this massive terror threat and you know it's, it's like asymmetrical warfare that was necessary in the iraq war and the afghanistan war that followed uh 9-11 and that um we're not prepared for that and it's far worse and far more terrible and the reaction that is sort of lauded at a moment in the film although it turns out to fail is to build an apartheid wall is to build some sort of wall of separation to keep you know that terrorist threat out. There are politicians to this very day who are talking about building walls to keep out terror threats, and uh, that sort of uh, fascist and reactionary uh, sort of political leaning is a massive part of the film. And then you know putting together some sort of coalition, trying to figure stuff out. Of course, it's only the American that really knows what's up and is really going to get us there. And it's American commandos who are able to withstand and withhold and those kind of things. And so you find throughout the film that it is showing that this sort of uh, reactionary uh, uh, behavior is what's really going to get stuff done. And, and that is again sort of the American foreign policy of uh, the post you know twenty two thousand and one uh, world. You know who saves the world in the novel? Nelson Mandela. Not fucking kidding. Our enemy is no longer the Africana, 
But this is no time to celebrate petty revenge. This is the time to build our nation. Yeah, that's that's much better. Now, I do think that there is a, a sort of uh, fundamental brokenness to what's going on there. There's mm-hmm. a fundamental um, uh, suggestion that this is ineffective. But throughout, that's exactly what happens. And uh, to Dalton's point, I think we have to find ways to be proactive, not reactive. We have to find ways to be inclusive and not exclusive in our foreign policy. And to realize that the, the first best step is not to create um, subhuman monsters of those who are against us. The choice of using this sort of post-9-11 framework in this uh, reinforces that idea. And this this sort of discussion happens no matter who that terrorist group is, no matter who those people are. And we could be talking about something way back in world history, and we could be talking about Bosnian and Serbs and how they treat one another uh, and how they dehumanize one another. We could be talking about Ukrainian freedom fighters, or we could be talking about some of the American conversations about Muslims. And in the same way... We could be talking about the Crusades. Yeah, we could. Absolutely. And so this is a thing that happens all the time. And I would suggest this. It hasn't been working. And perhaps we might try something else. Uh, The film uh, overall, though, does not seem to have the uh, nuance to deal with that sort of idea. But I think throughout the film, it is showing exactly what happens in these situations and how sort of a post-9-11 world reacts to that sort of problem. And that itself makes thought about the film a bit more interesting than the film was itself. And that's all the analysis I have to bring. I thank my dear co-host for some really brilliant analysis today. Let's move on to the time when we make a verdict. We, we render this film either unto the shelf or to the trash. I ask you first, Dalton Stewart, what do you say? In a world full of infinite, literally infinite cinema, uh, and yes, I know I use the word literally wrong because I like to, um, you don't need to make time for this. It's streaming on Netflix. If you want to watch it, fine. But I'm not going to recommend you watch, spend money on this. Uh, if you, time is a precious commodity for you, I can't recommend it. I, I got to say trash. I mean, at the end of the day, personally, I would give it probably three and a half um, completely rewritten screenplays by J. Michael Straczynski out of a possible five. Because um, I do think it's a lot of fun, and the fact that we got to see a zombie apocalypse on such a massive scale is, is pretty damn cool. Um, but yeah, I, I can't recommend you you waste your time on this, regardless of whether I find it passable. Uh, instead, if you're like me, you don't have time to read, uh, but you could check out the World War Z audiobook, because since I keep bringing up the novel, uh, the audiobook is great and has a voice cast that includes the likes of uh, Mark Hamill. Um, and a bunch of other, wow. uh, yeah, uh, there are others. That's the, the first one that comes to mind. Um, Alan Alda's in there. John Turturro's in there. Um, a really great voice cast, including some professional voice actors, not just screen actors. Um, so you should really check that out. I would also recommend two of the best zombie films that don't have zombies in them, uh, Warriors and Assault on Precinct 13, which we did way, way, way back on our very first episode, which I cannot recommend you listen to. Uh, finally, go back to where it all began, George A. Romero's Night of the Living Dead. If you haven't seen it and you're listening to a film podcast, you're doing yourself a disservice, and you should definitely correct that. Thank you very much, Mr. Dalton Stewart. Miss Alexander Bohannon, what do you say? This is a very easy trash for me. I was I was basically distracted the entire time I was supposed to be watching this movie because my attention was not gripped thoroughly by it. Um, definitely just 
throw it away. There's too much other stuff you could watch instead. Um, I would recommend instead, if you want to catch more zombies, try watching The Walking Dead because that is a lot of zombies. And I love that they use practical effects a lot of the time versus the CGI. I feel like I feel like 12 co- uh, costumed practical affected zombies are more um, impactful than a crowd full of 500 CGI zombies trying to scale the Jerusalem wall. And that's, I think that's pretty easily, and I think that's very easily seen it. And it's a much more scary picture personally um, to see them that close. Um, I would also recommend to you last year, we did a, did a uh, movie called Stakeland um, that has a more, they're technically vampires, but they're virus vampires and, and everyone kicks a lot of ass. And there's also a lot of not zombie time so that you get the feel of like, this is a post-apocalyptic universe. Um, and then I would also recommend some video games. You can play left for dead. You could play uh, Daisy. Uh, that's an I'd say Daisy probably has the beginning thirty minutes feel. That's kind of what I was thinking the whole time when I was watching this. Is like because you're also trying to not just survive this pack of zombie creatures, but you're trying to survive all the the fuckwits that are trying to um, kill you and steal um, your stuff, like your Winnebago or what have you. Um, I would give this in conclusion, the film overall, 12, uh, desperately needed inhalers out of a possible 57. Thank you very much, Ms. Alexander-Bohan, and I like that rating very much. <laughs> Mr. Arthur Gordon, what do you say? I also will trash this film. I think it's ultimately forgettable, and there isn't enough going on uh, that makes it, you know, must-see or worth recommending. Uh, instead, uh, watch some of the movies I mentioned, I Am Legend, 28 Days Later. Uh, the Dawn of the Dead remake, the original Dawn of the Dead while we're on it. Um, I think you should check out Jaws and Independence Day. And to throw a curveball with disaster films and family units, uh, check out Beasts of the Southern Wild. Yes. Thank you for that. Yes, absolutely. I would give it five planes landing miraculously near the desired destination out of 13. Thank you very much, Mr. Arthur Gordon. I would also trash this film. I believe that's unanimity. Uh, wow, for us it all. must. Is there like a super shelf in hell or something? Because usually <laughs> we don't all come <laughs> against a film like this. We'll we'll get there at the end of the year. I know that this four out of four trashes is a rarity. That's for sure. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it's bad. Don't watch it. Uh, that, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> that's all I got. That's so great. <laughs> it's bad to watch it. <laughs> I mean, all right, Dad. <laughs> That's all I have for that. Um, what else you should watch? I mean, anything. Uh, but, uh, but beyond that, I would say uh, Children of Men uh, is my, my major recommend already mentioned so far on this program. So, dear listener, there you have that. There are, are all of our unanimity of trashes. And there is also our um, recommends for you to expand your syllabus as you remove World War Z from your syllabus. Let's move on, though, and talk a little bit about social media and how the conversation can be held, and you can tell us what you think about what we said. Mr. Arthur Gordon, you know anything about that stuff? Uh, there are a couple things. Uh, you can check it out on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash goodtrashgenrecast, one word. Uh, we've gotten several new likes in the last uh, week, and we're really excited about that. Uh, we are trying to put more content up there and more posts that you can uh, communicate with us and interact with us. Uh, so please check that out. Give us a like over there and share our stuff. and just It helps build our, our presence on Facebook, and we'd really appreciate that. Also, you can ch- uh, check us out on Google+. Uh, email us goodtrashgenrecast at gmail.com. Uh, we also have a new iTunes review. Holla. Whoop, whoop. Uh, we received a five-star review by uh, CNCHCJAI. 
Um, I'm not going to attempt to pronounce that or okay. you pronounce it. Yes, it is. I think it means something about blood. Uh, Crazy. But they gave us five stars, and they also said it's just so, so good. Just like Aww. Revenge Pie. So nice. So thank you for that. That is appreciated. Uh, dear listener, you can also rate us on iTunes and give us either scathing reviews or glowing reviews. We appreciate either either one, really. Alex, I think, has some more information on some Facebook love yeah, that we've so, received. Yeah, uh, so I just wanted to share the love because we have been trying to be more active to interact with all of our new fans and uh we've gotten some great feedback back so i just wanted to go over this um i wrote this post on a throwback thursday that was inspired by nick sanford um that um what was asking what are are your favorite inception moment was and if we should do inception on the show and pretty much everyone said we should and then caleb said as long as i get to be a guest host of course he did um of course that that sounds lovely caleb um, we also shared that the Paramount OKC was covered covered on the front page of the Daily Oklahoman. Oh yeah! Um, and we shared their post, and so um, George Adams, the man who was featured in this cover story, wrote a really nice note on our wall, saying, "Ask, telling us thanks for sharing." Um, I also wrote a movie trivia Monday about um, airplane versus zero hour. You've heard of that, right? Um, well. Um, I thought that was new information to me about how um, they made Zero Hour. And um, we've gotten some comments from Justin A. Wallace. And we've just gotten some more interaction this week. Really appreciate that. So please keep it up. We like hearing from you. And um, we definitely highlight you on the show if you talk to us. So, yeah, self-promote yourself. Mr. Donald Stewart, anything else about social media means by which these conversations might be held? When there's no more room in hell, tweets will walk the earth. Ladies and gentlemen, you can find the Good Trash Genre cast on Twitter at good underscore trash. Any feedback coming in from there, Mr. Donald uh, Quite a bit. Lots of new followers. In fact, so many. I'm not going to play the game I normally play, uh, which is where I make you guess which ones are bullshit and which ones are real people. Uh, we've got at S.A. Spalding, at Gary Bizzo, at Entrepro. Come on. At... David Henry Cook, at Apt Design Creations, at Ween is a cool band. I think that's what that says. I can't tell. We've also got a follow from at Ian C.S. Matthews. Thanks, Ian C.S. Matthews. Brad, the famous, the world-famous Brad Leperson asked if he could get a link to the article Alex mentioned on episode 130 over Arnold Schwarzenegger's Predator. Holla, uh, holla. We gave him that. You're welcome, Brad Leperson. Uh, we got a follow from I am Mulane. Mulane. I really thought it was John Mulaney for a second about fucking shit in my pants. It was not John Mulaney. Sorry uh, for, for the swearing at you. Um, again, really a quite active week on Twitter. Lots of retweets, lots of favorites. Um, finally, though, I did want to mention a very funny local comedian by the name of uh, Alex Sanchez, who yes. you can find uh, on Twitter, at Siri Sanchez, asked if we'd seen the last Mimsy. And I was like, nah, dog, we haven't. Tell me more. To which he said, it's like Escape to Witch Mountain for kids with hippie parents. High concept sci-fi for kids. Yeah, I've seen that. He, he told me a little bit more about it uh, when I saw him at the uh, Tuesday night uh, open mic at Othello's here in Norman. Um, and I, I'm pretty fascinated by this film. So that might be something we've got to check out in the near future. Thank you very much, Mr. Donald Stewart. We look forward to all that feedback via all those social media means. Now, dear listener, it's time to play the game. This week's game, 
is our favorite Brad Pitt moments. Uh, that's right. Brad Pitt's finest moments. Brought to you by World War Z. World War Z. Probably not one of Brad Pitt's finest moments. <laughs> Maybe you should have let DiCaprio win that bidding war. <laughs> Correct. It's not a journey. Every journey ends, but we go on. The world turns and we turn with it. Plans disappear. Dreams take over. But wherever I go, there you are. My luck, my fate, my fortune. Chanel number five. Inevitable. Thank you very much, Mr. Dalton Stewart. Mr. Dalton Stewart, what are Brad Pitt's finest moments in hey, your mind? Hey, you guys remember how we've got that uh, Fincher rule where, because he's my favorite director, uh, I try not to talk about his films too much in the game segment of this show? Correct. Well, turns out there's a lot of motherfucking good Brad Pitt moments in David Fincher movies, so I won't mention that one uh, that is probably my favorite film. Uh, so I'll mention a couple other ones. What's in the box? From Seven. I mean, come on. What a great ending to a Just film. another Fincher movie. Moving on. Which, I'm not mentioning the other one, though. Um, uh, the voiceover to all the things that have to happen for something to happen in life from Benjamin Button. Uh, if you haven't seen the film, I won't spoil exactly what he's talking about, but he kind of goes on this monologue about all the things that have to happen for an, one particular thing to occur, good or bad. Uh, he's also got another great uh, voiceover uh, talking about how it's never too late to change your life. Uh I've come out against shitty uh, voiceovers a lot on this show, but, man, is that a good one. Uh, also, Floyd in True Romance. Guys, come on. One of his earliest moments, he plays a pothead that literally never leaves the couch. Not a single time. It's pretty fabulous. Finally, um, his his dual uh, World War II roles playing essentially the same character, one dramatically, one comedically, uh, and that's Lieutenant Aldo Rain in Inglorious Bastards, and I think... Lieutenant, maybe Colonel or Captain Warbucks in last year's Fury, which is a really amazing film that I don't think people talked enough about. Thank you very much, Mr. Dalton Stewart. Ms. Alexander Bohannon, what are your picks? Well, I don't have a Fincher rule, so I can talk about Fight Club. Yeah. Fight Club is really good, and he um, he excels in this film. Um, I learned recently, as of today, some fun trivia that apparently whenever um, he and... Uh, his opposite, whose name escapes me totally. Edward Norton. Edward Norton. I was going to say, I think, uh, a totally different name there. Edward Norton were uh, hitting golf balls off the roof. They were actually drunk when they were doing that. Yes. And they were actually hitting golf balls off a roof, which is incredible to me. So I think that's one of Brad Pitt's finest moments, and besides that whole movie. I've obviously. seen that movie so many times. I know they were actually in a yard, not on a roof. Uh yeah, that's how many times I've seen that movie. I awesome. can correct you. But yeah, they were really well, hitting golf balls. I just balls. knew I knew that, that they were actually yeah. hitting the golf balls. At abandoned factories. Yes. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. Um, I uh, also, another finest moment is uh, his performance in Snatch. I think we did an episode over Snatch, and I think that film is... Yeah, a good episode. He's so good in that movie. Isn't that episode we did over the movie, yeah? Yes, it is that episode we did over that movie. Yes, he just he sells that role so much, is so believable, and I just... I could see him playing more gypsy travelers all day long, so... Those are my favorite moments of Brad Pitt. The one pick I would add is a moment with him and Anthony Hopkins in Legends of the Fall, uh, in which they uh, a, a, a stroked, palsied Anthony Hopkins uh, is trying to say, screw him, 
to the government, and you can't understand him. And then Brad realizes what he's saying. That's it. Screw him. That's right. Screw the government. And it's just kind of fantastic. And uh, But everything that our co-hosts have said, I think I totally concur with. So thank you very much for that. Dear listener, what are your favorite moments from Mr. Brad Pitt? We'd love to hear them from you as well. Let's move on, though, and conclude the show as we always do with what's got us fired up this week in pop culture. Thank you very much for that. Intro music, studio man, Arthur Gordon. Uh, Mr. Dalton Stewart, are you fired up this week? The fire's been turning since the world's been burning. I am fired up this week <laughs> in popular culture. Most of these are things I would have said last week had I not taken a break. Um, we, you guys briefly mentioned the uh, International San Diego Comic-Con last week. Just want to point out a, a, one or two things that didn't get mentioned. Uh, the leaked Deadpool footage uh, was fabulous. I could watch T.J. Miller and Ryan Reynolds riff about Deadpool's messed up face for about an hour. It is absolutely hysterical. Um, also very amused by the Warner Brothers executive, uh, whose title and name I forget, but she was very pissed off that the Suicide Squad footage had gotten leaked. Uh, Ryan Reynolds was actually really happy that the Deadpool footage got leaked. He's like, yeah, we'd give you guys a better copy, but, you know, some of the, the visual effects aren't quite there yet, so we don't want to get out widespread, but glad you guys liked it. She was so pissed, and basically her press release was, <clears throat> well, if you guys are going to leak it anyway, I guess we'll give you a better copy or whatever. That was supposed to be for the Comic-Con fans only, though, you dicks. Maybe we just won't show any sneak previews ever again. How do you like that, jerks? And then they released the Suicide Squad uh, thing, which was fine. I was much more amused by the reaction uh, from Warner Brothers. Uh, Jared Leto doing his best um, Heath Ledger, Mark Hamill mashup impression. Um, Looks pretty good. Still don't like those tattoos. Still don't like the grill. But the line, I'm not going to kill you. I'm just going to hurt you really, really bad, is a really good Joker line. Um, I remain apprehensive, but I love David Ayer, so we'll see what he turns out there. Uh, last but not least, I do want to mention the um, Norwegian film Headhunters starring uh, Jamie Lannister from Game of Thrones, whose name I literally cannot pronounce because he is from Denmark, and they have impossible-to-pronounce names. Can I buy a vowel? Yes, correct. Um, man, Headhunters is a top-notch thriller. Um, I, I won't tell you too much because the less you know, the better. I'll just say this. It's about a corporate recruiter who thinks his super hot wife will leave him because he's short and frog looking uh, unless he provides her with a lavish lifestyle. So to, so to support that, he steals uh, priceless works of art in his off time. He makes a mistake of trying to steal one from Jamie Lannister. Um, it's a fucked up movie, as all Scandinavian films are. And because Scandinavia is so fucked up, it's the highest grossing film in the history of Norway. Sounds like my life, actually. It's really good. It's streaming on Netflix. You should check it out right now. Accurate. Thank you very much. Ms. Alexander Bohannon, are you fired up this week? Yeah. Uh, don't literally check it out right now. Just, like, finish listening to us. We're almost done, we promise. Okay. Um, I've got a list. Uh, Game of Thrones finally finished it, and FYI, HBO Go does not work on old Rokus anymore. You might not know that and be blindsided by it like I was. Um, it was really good. Uh, next. I um, watched the NXT Divas debut on Raw. So, Sasha... Uh, Charlotte and our um, Becky Lynch all debuted on Raw, and I'm sure Arthur will cover that in more detail because we're trying to get this expedited. Um, I this weekend I'm going to go see Trainwreck. Um, I didn't plan on seeing it until I knew John Cena was in it, and I'm definitely going to go see it. Your time is up, my time is now, now. You can't see me 
Um, one of my favorite tweets was I was listening to a wrestling podcast today, and one of the hosts said, man, I wonder who Amy Schumer is going to wrestle at SummerSlam, and I about died. Um, and finally, besides Battlefield, the pay-per-view, which I have not yet to watch, but sound it was actually really good. Um, uh, strangely enough, I'm fired up about a music video which came out a while ago. I don't know if you guys uh, have been following the Taylor Swift, Nicki Minaj, Nicki Minaj, thank you. I was trying to say it backwards. Minaj drama, but um, I read up about that, and then I learned about her drama with Katy Perry. Anyway, so Bad Blood, her song, her single, is actually... Katy Perry's or Nicki Minaj's? That's uh, Taylor Swift's song. Bad Blood. Yes. Oh, about her feud about with Katy Perry. About her feud with Katy Perry. But have you seen the music video? I have not. Go on. Um, it's basically if Taylor Swift was in Sucker Punch. It's incredible. Oh my god, that it's cool. And it's and I now I love this song. Like I'm obsessed with this song. And the song was okay when it came on the radio, but with with the visuals of these like girls and these like stark outfits, like kicking ass, and like they have like this free-for-all brawl and then there's lena dunham in it randomly because they're besties <laughs> oh, like there's a whole bunch of famous people in it too so if you haven't seen the bad blood music video i'm not a music video person that one is so worth your time it's a basically a four-minute movie it's incredible so i'm obsessed with this song now. taylor swift incapable of not fighting with other pop stars yeah oh man that drama anyway Way to stick it to itunes though yeah um so that's all i've got for you today in popular culture in my neck of the woods Thank you very much, Ms. Alexander Bohan. And Mr. Arthur Gordon, are you fired up? Uh, not really, but Alex put me on the spot, so I guess I'll just mention uh, the Raw stuff. Um, it was really good to see the NXT Divas. Uh, Sasha Banks is just really incredible. Charlotte is solid. Uh, Becky Lynch is awesome. And so I, I really hope uh, that they can do some really good stuff on the roster and they don't get uh, held down with creative crap like the Divas usually do on the main roster. Uh, from what I gather, I think there were a couple of really extended Divas matches on Raw uh, that they cut out of the Hulu uh, playback. So oh, oh. Course, of course they did. But uh, um, anyway, uh, the other thing uh, wrestling related that I'm fired up is that The Undertaker is back in a non-WrestleMania capacity. Crazy. Uh, feuding with the Brock Lesnar. Brock? Uh, reigniting their feud. Lesnar. And so I really want to see Brock Lesnar cripple an old man. I'm going to bring the gasoline and I am going to burn Suplex City to the ground, Lesnar. I can take you to Suplex City tonight. Uh, That's going to happen, I heard. Like, because he's just so old. He's got to be like in his late 50s by now, yeah. right? The last time they wrestled at WrestleMania, uh, Brock Lesnar legitimately sent Undertaker to the hospital with concussions and such. And so I don't see it panning out much better I, I this mean, time around. He's like literally or just like within the context? No, literally. Not, like, not kayfabe. Like, not like kayfabe. real life. Yeah. Real life. Like oh after the God. match, they take Undertaker to the hospital. I mean, I've been alive for 25 years. And the Undertaker's been a wrestler since I've been yeah. alive, so yeah. so yeah, he's got to be at least fifty. He's getting up there. He's getting up yeah. there. Um, so, and I will be attending Raw in Oklahoma City, Woo-hoo! hopefully, come the twenty seventh. Anyway, uh, the other things I've been trying to get into some more comic books lately, and so I've been reading John Constantine Hellblazer, uh, the relaunch uh, from DC Comics, and also Doomed, uh, a new series from uh, DC. I heard that's good. It's yeah, it's off kind of a slow burn build, mm-hmm. but I think who writes the that? establishing I can't remember. It's somebody I head. know of. Uh, but the artwork's kind of cool. The artwork on Hellblazer is really awesome. I also picked up Marvel eighteen seventy two, which reimagines the uh, Marvel universe in the wild, wild west. Oh, so it's like the sixteen oh two or whatever, but yeah. with cowboys. Yeah, Steve cool. Rogers is a sheriff. 
Uh, Tony Stark's the town drunk and of engineer. Course. Yeah, it's really fun. Uh, Wilson Fisk is the corrupt uh, mayor. Of course. Uh, so it's it's a lot of fun. Uh, also, I saw uh, Marvel's uh, Paul Rudd starring Ant-Man, mm-hmm. uh, which was pretty fun. Okay. Uh, it was an enjoyable movie. I think some people are giving it a little too much praise, but I think it's a more solid effort than some of the lesser Marvel films in the uh, MCU. And so I really enjoyed it. I laughed a lot. Michael Pena just knocks it out of the ballpark. and It's hilarious. I really wanted to see the Edgar Wright version, though. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I'll take what I got. And there are some really cool moments in there. And so that's what I've got this week. Thank you very much, Mr. Arthur Gordon. The only thing I have to mention right now is I have a niece that lives with me who likes horror, who likes TV, and likes series. And so I started watching Supernatural. Hella yeah. That it, first season is incredible. It's a good show. The first yeah. season's solid. It's a really good yeah. show. It's, isn't it funny to know that Pedalaki is, you know, he's not the dean, but, you know, he could have been dean. I mean, he's a twin anyway. It's crazy town. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> Fun I don't know stuff. What you were I like that very, very much. And so I recommend it to you all, dear listeners. Um, we'd love to hear what you're fired about as well. Please send it to us via social media means. Let's talk about next week. Next week, we're going to be looking at another blockbuster. We're going to finish out this month of blockbusters, and we're going to be watching Twister. That's right. It is Fan Request Friday show. Uh, so we've reached into the hat and pulled out a blockbuster, as per requested by Mr. <sighs> uh, former co-host, guest host, I guess you should say, uh, independent filmmaker Nick Sanford, uh, who has joined us from time to time, who, and I believe will be in studio with this when we record. Who has been hassling me relentlessly about having been from Oklahoma, being raised from in Oklahoma my entire life, and never having watched Twister all the way through. Will not shut the fuck up about how I need to watch this movie. So you're welcome, Nick Sanford. You're welcome. So next week, we take a look at Twister. There is a mystery. Elusive. Unpredictable. Violent. It terrifies most scientists. But for a new breed, the challenge is saving lives. The research is deadly, and the laboratory is nature itself. And potentially, uh, could be a storm that has a wind in excess of 10, dear listener, take a look at World War Z, I guess, or anything else, or also Twister.
and watch a movie and have a conversation because that's what makes movies much more fun. And until then, we'll see you next time. Listen to me.